Welcome to the unspoken truths of digital leadership, living the leadership values. Our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the values, the dark side and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. Discover how they lead more effectively, how they make decisions, how they live their leadership values, and how they deal with the consequences that happen because of the decisions that they make. I am John Opoon, I will be your host of the show. Please note that there may be explicit language used during the interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Truths of the Digital Leadership, Living the Leadership Values, where our guests will share and talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the dark side and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. And today I have an entrepreneur, coach, hypnotist, broadcaster, founder of Modern Mindset Podcast as well. And he also has many other businesses. <laughs> Adam Cox. Excellent. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show today, Johnny. Thank you, Adam, for being here. I appreciate that. And apologies for the mismatch of your introduction. I know you have many other things going on as well. No, it's, it's absolutely fine. I'm just glad to be on the show. So Adam, tell us about uh, a bit what you do and how did you get into broadcasting, hypnosis, entrepreneurship? It's a real mixture, really. So I think I had an interest in business. I, I wouldn't have called it entrepreneurship back then, but I had an interest in business as a child, partly out of scarcity. So my um, my dad decided at the age of like 33, something like that, to go back to university and when he did that, suddenly the income in the house dropped a lot. And I must have been about 12, 13 at that time. So it's it's an age where you're trying to find your identity. Uh, and then suddenly there's virtually no money in the house. Um, and, and I remember just feeling ashamed, feeling embarrassed that I didn't, I mean, my birthday present, I think when I was 13 years old was like a six pound pair of trainers and it was unbranded. And at that point in time, the trainers was your status within within school. And I just had the worst. And um, it, it, it kind of made me feel embarrassed, feel ashamed. But at the same time, it gave me this desire to start taking responsibility for my own um, kind of income at a very young age. And I started doing paper rounds. And then I took the money from the paper rounds, went to car boot sales um bought things cheap got very good at haggling because you you don't want to spend any more than you can get away with and then there was at the time the equivalent of gumtree or ebay now but there was free ads papers so then i would sell these things that i'd bought for a profit and and, and just realized that by doing that i could i could actually make money for myself and that was a real wake-up call but around that same time i had a, a huge interest in in learning so I was one of these geeky, you know, kind of children that would go to the library and I just drifted towards the personal development section, the self-improvement section. And I was reading books on psychology, speed reading, mnemonics, you know, all this kind of weird stuff. But I kind of, it was only on reflection, I kind of figured out where that came from because I, I had this deep ingrained belief throughout my childhood that I wasn't good enough. And and I guess in in my child mind, I thought, well, 
I'm not good enough as I am, so maybe this kind of stuff will make me better. Um, and, you know, having more money or having more skills and then even exercising as a child, it was all about not personal growth for me, but trying to offset this idea that I was just inadequate as I am. And I guess that's really where it, it came from. Um, but with that, of course, you learn stuff and you get better at stuff. And it it kind of led me to um, a place where I started a business at the age of about 15, 16 years old. Um, I remember having a, a mail order company, so selling guides and copywriting and things like that, putting classified ads in in local newspapers. And and that's just the, the start of the journey. But I got good at copywriting and things like that and, and figuring out the 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 promises that you make or the the benefits of what you do is really that can lead to an emotional state that can influence people and and a lot of what i do even now is kind of grounded in those skills that i was learning as a as a teenager but but it came from a place of wanting to achieve or accomplish or be worthy in some way and, and it, it got to a surreal moment where I was in my first year of uh, sixth form, so about 16, 17 years old, and my friends would have jobs in pet shops and supermarkets, um, and, and I would just deliver leaflets door to door. But as a result of that, I had checks coming through my post for, you know, sometimes it's like 100, 200 pounds a day as a 16-year-old. And, and, you know, my friends, you know, they they didn't really understand how I was wired and where I was thinking, but it... it came from a place of not really feeling uh, adequate and then if we was to deep deep dive into that was that part of the parents the way you've been you know your interaction with your parents and because that's a very common one not being good enough is um, a very common thing that you know everyone goes through right especially in the personal development spaces that the reason why we're in personal development is because we feel like we're not good enough yeah, well, it's, we get it, derived from my parents. It certainly came from my parents. My my dad's a very shy, um, you know, kind of. It doesn't really stick his head above the parapet. He's, um, you know, very smart. You know, he's got MBAs. He's got you know degrees in economics and um, very smart. But also, I would say, quite timid from the point of view of one socially, um, and and secondly was always afraid to kind of take that knowledge that he had and, and kind of go into business. Um, so spent his whole life working for other people. And, and, and I think a lot of people naturally do that from a position of comfort and security. It's about reducing risk. Um, but I saw that. And I think as, as many teenagers do, you either look at your parents and want to be like them or differentiate yourself from them. So, you know, both my parents smoked and eat, eated, you know, very unhealthy. So for me, it was kind of like, well, I can see where that's going even as a child. So health and, and nutrition became really important to me. I could see that they were quite um, anxious and, and very wary. A lot of their decisions were based on not being embarrassed or worrying about what other people thought. And for a long time, I followed that that kind of conditioning, that that natural observation. But But it reached a point where you start figuring out that that's a trap, you know, and actually if you, if you live your life based on the perceptions of other people, then who are, whose life are you living at, at some level? Um, 
so my, my dad was quite shy. My mum was a lot more confident. And, and actually what I got from my mum is um, an interest in um, sales. You know, my mum had no qualifications at all, but she was earning more than my dad um, in, in radio sales. And, and that became my first job. Um, and, and, and actually she, she doesn't know this, but she got me the job because I remember having a conversation with her in a drive into Nottingham where, where she was working. And, and, and I said, mum, what do you actually do? You know, thinking she would sell, oh, I sell radio airtime or something like that. And she said, you know what I really sell? I sell whatever my clients are selling because by getting them on the radio, that helps them to sell more, more of their products. And I should remember that. And then it must have been about six months later, at the end of my degree in psychology, I had like two weeks left where I'd paid the rent, but the course had finished. And I'm a bit tight, so I didn't want to you know, have spent that money and then not really use that. So I, I called the local radio station where I lived. It was you know miles away from where my parents lived and, and, and said to the sales director, can I do a couple of weeks work experience there? And he said, are you sure you don't want to work in the programming side? You know, that's where everyone wants to do work experience. They want to sit in the studio with the radio presenters. And I said, no, I want to do work experience in the sales team. And he was a bit thrown by that. He said, look, come on in. We'll have a chat. So he, he gets me in there. He, he sats me in the chair in his, his big, you know, sales director office. And he says, Adam, I've got a question for you. What is it that we sell? And, uh, and I remember smiling even then because I thought, this is such an opportunity. I said, you think that I'm going to say that you sell radio advertising or airtime. What you really sell is whatever your clients are selling. And you literally saw this guy's brain kind of explode. His, his mind was blown. So it was super easy for me to get the two weeks work experience because I had access to inside information that, that he just couldn't fathom. So he kind of saw me as this prodigy. And I said, look, is there any training material that you can kind of give me so when I do the work experience, I can help? And he gave me this 13-week course by a, a radio sales trainer called Chris Lytle. And, you know, all my all my friends, you know, had, had gone back to their homes, so I had nothing to do. So in the evenings, I just went through this 13-week sales training course, you know, within the first week, um, handed it back to him after the first week and said, oh, I've done this. And he's like, what do you mean you've done this? And I said, you know, it's a 13-week course. I said, yeah, no, this is done. Um, so I had that kind of appetite and hunger. But what I really got from my mum was a sense of um, sales being a skill set that could influence your income. And and now as a, as a hypnotherapist, I'm very grateful for that because effectively hypnotherapy is very similar to sales, but you're just selling them on a on a belief change or an outcome difference, it's still influence. You're just not influencing them to spend money. You're influencing them to make some kind of psychological shift about how they see themselves or what strategies or how resourceful they can be. And, you know, so, so I would say, yes, you know, swings and roundabouts, there was certain limitations that I think I, I naturally picked up from my parents, but equally um, it's only by going through those limitations myself that I feel like I'm in a position to help other people. So I don't resent them at all for, um, the upbringing. I think any parent does the best they can with the resources they have. Um, but at the same time, had I not worked on myself to make changes, I think I'd be in a very different place now. How did it come about to choose to be, uh, become a hypnotherapist? Yeah. So I had an interest in, in hypnosis even as a teenager. I remember reading books on 
um, stage hypnotism, um, doing little tricks with people with them, the magnetic fingers where they join together and where the hands wouldn't open. So I remember doing little tricks like that and, and, and it working at some level, like people wouldn't be able to open their hand after I said that they, it, their hand is like, you know, metal that's all melted together and kind of bound. So I realized that, you know, I had a natural kind of talent for people perceiving me to have this kind of skill to influence them in some way. But, but actually, where it really came about is that I, I set up a PR agency. I, I still run that PR agency now. And, and for many years, that was what I did, you know, because I had a, a passion for business, the psychology of influence, the psychology of perception change, which is really what um, PR is. Um, but it reached a point where I got to about, I don't know, six years ago now. And just this recurring thought of hypnosis and psychology and 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 all the all the books that I would read and the and the videos that I would watch that I'd be really interested in had nothing to do with public relations like absolutely nothing and and all to do about this kind of using you know psychology or um, hypnosis to make changes and I was reading a book called Money Master the Game by Anthony Robbins and and part of a chapter there was about, you know, there's so many ways to make money. You might as well make money in an area that actually gives you fulfillment or there's a genuine interest in. And I remember mapping out in my head that, well, I've got this interested in hypnosis. I've got an interest in intellectual property. You know, I've, I've got a love for kind of like audio kit and all this kind of stuff. What could I do that takes all these things that I'm interested in and, and, and could potentially create an income? Um, and, and a hypnosis was it. And, and literally the day after I signed up for uh, a hypnosis course um, and then did quite well in that course. And I, I wasn't that academic at school because I didn't really have an interest in academia. But this particular area doing a, a postgraduate uh, qualifications in clinical hypnotherapy, I, I got two distinctions. You know, I had a natural kind of um, competency there, but also when the class finished, and, th and this was uh, a few years ago, I'm talking to other members of the, the class. And I'm saying, right, well, you know, what, what's, your, what's your business going to be called? And where are you going to get clients? Where's your clinic going to be based? And all of them, with the exception of one or two, were highly nervous. And they were convinced they had to do a master's degree, or they were convinced they had to be mentored for like months and months. And I just had this desire to kind of really go out there and, and, and kind of see how quickly I could build this hypnotherapy practice. So I got a clinic on Harley street, um, and put my prices way higher than they should have been for someone with such li limited experience. But I kind of sold it to myself that if I set my prices at a certain level, it's my duty to be that competent to deserve that money. And everyone was telling me I should set my price at like 50 pounds an hour and this kind of stuff. I was like, no, we're going to sell it at 200 pounds. And, um, and they said, well, you know, how are you going to get any clients if you set it so high? But for me, the justification was if I don't set it high enough, I won't have enough motivation to actually give up my time to do the thing. So it had to reach a point where it was worth it. But being in Harley Street and setting my prices that, uh, at that level, and, and knowing how to build brands and knowing how to market and knowing how to get quality PR coverage for myself, it attracted high caliber clients, it attracted celebrity clients. And then that also gave me huge amounts of experience because 
as a part-time hypnotherapist, I was busier than some full-time hypnotherapists. And, and I'm a big fan of, you know, when, when people really get good at stuff, it's because they immerse themselves and they do it a lot. You know, nobody becomes a good driver by passing their test. They have to spend time on the road. So for me, that's how it was with hypnosis. If I wanted to be a good hypnotist, I needed to work with loads and loads of clients. And, uh, and obviously, the more you do it, you find out what works, you find out what doesn't work, you get better. Uh, and also confidence grows as well. So that's really where hypnosis came from. It, it was always a passion there. And I think intuition for me is if, if something, you know, pops into your head once and never again, it's not really aligned with your mission or your purpose. But if it keeps knocking, you know, it's your duty to, to answer that and, and pursue it because it's probably a clue that that's really where you're meant to be, you know, kind of spending time in. I'm glad you touched upon intuition because that was like the next thing was like, it's, it's, a, it's a nice place to go into. How did you come across into the, you know, the super consciousness and spirituality, um, intuition? What would be your deep dive in, in, in that? Like, when was the, the time you decided, oh, I feel, like, yeah. Did you have a time when you feel like you need to do some self discovery or? just want to do a, a very deep dive. I'm sure you do that in hypnosis as well anyway, but yeah. just curious. So, so for me, getting into personal development in my early 20s, late teens, you know, Jim Rohn was a big proponent of keeping a journal. And I think the nature of keeping a journal is that you you start reflecting a lot, you know, and, and certain things that come up, what makes you anxious, what makes you excited, you get to reflect on that. And, and, and that's, these emotional states are rarely consciously chosen. Nobody sits there saying, I'm going to get myself excited. You know, maybe a few people do these days, but rarely, you know, the emotion normally flows from something going on that you're not consciously aware of. So I think I, I've always had this desire to kind of um, work on myself, you know, get better. Um, and, and intuition, I think, is a big part of that because that. For me, intuition is 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 the things that you can't really describe, but you know are there. So, inner dialogue that that for me is intuition, gut feel, um, ideas that come to mind. You know that that's all coming from, you know, whether you call it the unconscious, superconscious, or intuition. It's basically it doesn't come from conscious thought. It's not a deliberate, you know, kind of um, objective to kind of arrive at that conclusion. I'm I'm not that. Well, I'm, I'm certainly not religious. I'm an, I'm an atheist. I, I was brought up as a Catholic, but you know, at the age of ten, I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. I'm not I'm not buying into this. Um, but but at the same level, I do. I would say I've got natural spiritual beliefs without considering myself spiritual. I think if you do good things, good things happen. You know, I think you know it's it it, it has the ability um, to tap into things that we don't understand. Whether you call that law of attraction, manifestation or, or things. But but overall, I also am a big believer in psychology. And, and a lot of these things, you know, we don't, don't necessarily understand like serendipity or synchronicity, but the reticular activating system is a good place to start when you think, okay, you're filtering out all the things that you, you don't consider important and you hone into those things. So whether you call that intuition or just your brain, you know, knowing more about what you want than you do, um, you know, th th these are the kind of clues. But for me, hypnosis 
is different from things like mindfulness. Mindfulness is all about the conscious, uh, conscious attention, where, where you're spending your time uh, and, and focus on, on your senses. Whereas hypnosis is all about influencing the unconscious. And, and a lot of the problems that people face or the issues that they're dealing with are not conscious um, things because if they were conscious of them, they'd already changed them. They're, you know, if there's a conflict between, I don't know, some value that was instilled in you as a child and then now what you want, or if you grew up like I did where, you know, both parents were terrified of taking risks, but there's a part of you that really wants to be an entrepreneur, which is a professional risk taker, that's going to create conflict. And you either resolve those conflict or you feel, um, you know, and, and a lot of people deal with internal struggle, not in healthy ways. You know, sometimes it's drinking, drugs, whatever it might be. Um, so I think for, for me, whereas in my teenage years and early 20s, I had a really bad relationship with my unconscious mind. You know, it, I would ignore the intuition. You know, I tell myself to shut up. I would, there are lots of inner criticism. Whereas now I've got a great relationship with my unconscious mind because it would be kind of ironic if a professional hypnotherapist had a bad relation. That would be like, I, I don't know, like a... A professional window cleaner having the dirtiest windows in the town you know if, if i'm not you know doing it then then i don't deserve to be a hypnotherapist being invited to influence other people's unconscious minds mm -hmm. and how did you overcome those issues during your early teens with the relationship with the your unconscious mind i didn't resolve it then no, it, it, it took me away into my 20s to, to resolve it. The, the biggest issue I had in my late teens was anxiety, like crippling anxiety. It reached a point in my first year of university that I became a recluse, probably for about six months. Um, I would literally only leave this tiny one-bedroom flat um, just to go to um, almost like the, the last window of time where the, the local Sainsbury's was open. So nobody would see me. I would walk straight there, get my food, walk straight back, um, and then kind of eat in my room. You know, it was it was a coping mechanism for me to deal with social anxiety. So as a as a phobia specialist now, I help people with all kinds of anxiety and appreciate that all kinds of things can be a trigger for anxiety. But for me, my anxiety was other people, and it's hard to live a life if people are the thing that you know creates anxiety because the number one strategy for dealing with anxiety is avoidance um so that's why i was a recluse i was avoiding people because that was the source of my anxiety without realizing that it was more the not the people that were the source of the anxiety but my perceptions about people and my worries about them evaluating me uh, and of course you create a self-fulfilling prophecy if you avoid people you're the weird one and then people do evaluate you in a way that makes you feel bad. And then the, the cycle continues. So I had to break out of that. And, and that really led me to do a lot of research on anxiety because I, I needed to fix myself. I knew um, that, you know, it could only go one of two ways. I either change what was happening so I didn't feel this, this severe anxiety or um, accept that I would live the rest of my life in relative isolation. And what kind of a life is that? So I, unconsciously and, and not deliberately, I'd created enough emotional leverage to think, right, I've got to sort this, you know, because otherwise I've created my own prison. What was it like climbing out of that prison? 
I'd love to say it was easy and it, and it happened straight away, but it was, you know, it, it was, it was really tough. It was really tough because, um, I was almost a slave to th this idea of consistency that people have seen me in a certain way. So they're going to have to expect me to be in a certain way. And then that's where the conflict was because I didn't want to be that person, but equally I didn't want to be this kind of fake person that was completely different from the person that they knew. Um, so it, it was, it was gradual. It was, um, me almost becoming increasingly aware of my own comfort zone and then making the effort to go outside of that comfort zone, even though I knew it would be uncomfortable and create the anxiety, but just kind of get used to it. And, and I worked on a lot on things like breathing techniques, um, the associations or the, um, evaluations that I would have with different things. I would start challenging my own belief systems and, and think, right, what's going on in my head right now? They think you're, they, they think you're weird. Okay. Well, how do I know that they think I'm weird? And it was all the meta model stuff that you get from Bandler and Grinder in the early days of, you know, am I mind reading here? What assumptions or presuppositions am I, you know, making and, and, and all the kind of foundations that I use now when I'm working with clients and they say, you know, I can never lose weight. And it's kind of like, or never, you know, cause we could chop an arm off right now and you would lose at least a few kilos what you can never lose weight. And then what I, what I was doing really on myself was challenging those beliefs and, and saying, you know, are, are any of this real genuine stuff? Is it true? Is it useful? And if it isn't, what could I replace it with? Um, but, it, but it took place over several months. And I think, um, along the way, of course you make mistakes, you have setbacks, but it was, increasingly it, it led me to a point where I got to um, I think 23 years old where I'd, I'd got a job in a in a central London PR agency and basically blagged it basically pretended to be this ultra arrogant ultra confident you know um, basically a bit of a dick and 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 by doing that I had to be congruent with that because they didn't know who I was before so I had to kind of almost be that resourceful because you can't you can't be that cocky and arrogant and not walk your talk so so i did that and and realized that i i actually was quite good at influencing people quite good at selling um and i started thinking well if i could make this much money for this company i can do it for myself so at the age of 23 years old i i set up um a company called radio relations which i, I still own that brand as part of the relations group um but it was the first time really that I had to make the decision to really back myself a hundred percent. So I'd saved up about 15,000 pounds, which was my seed capital. And, and then it was a case of, I, I then had to turn this idea into an actual business and everyone that knew me, knew me as this unconfident, you know, kind of insecure. And they're like, what, you're going to run a PR agency. No, no, no. You need to get yourself a job. You need to like do this. But, it was my opportunity to be the master of my own destiny because I just thought that while I'm an employee, I'm, you know, I'm not in control here. And, and as much as I was anxious about this social evaluation, I knew that my dominant value was freedom. And could I really have true freedom if I was under the, the rules and structure of anyone else? And I just realized I couldn't. So for me, it was, you know, almost burning the boats, you know, I had, I had no option but to succeed. 
And I, I'm a big believer that if you, we've all got more resources than we, we realize. And if you put yourself in a situation where you have to do it, because the, the alternative is humiliation, you know, losing all the money you've saved, you know, and, and, and just kind of failure, whatever that definition means to someone, then nine times out of 10, you're going to find a way to make it work, or you're going to learn really valuable lessons that are, you know, infinitely priceless in the future. But it sounds to me that you just took, you just decided to take huge 100% responsibility for your own destiny, your own behavior, your whole uh, process, I would say. Like you didn't, you eliminated, you know, all complaints about, you know, is other people's fault, is other, you know, the blame game and all that, but you just took 100% responsibility and said, this is all me and it's all or nothing for me. Yeah. And, and, and that was a big shift because when I, when I did have that severe anxiety, um, I, I was playing that blame game in my head nonstop, you know, ah, oh, why couldn't my parents have been more confident? Why couldn't they have, you know, helped me to be more social, you know, um, these idiots at, at school, uh, why did they do that? And, and, you know, once you play that game, you, it's difficult to get out of that because, um, you've got a reason you, you've got a reason to justify your misery. And, and I had that. Um, but it reached a point where I thought, you know, if, if, if things are going to change, I have to take that responsibility because, you know, my parents might have, you know, raised me, but I'm an adult now, even if it was a young adult, 1920, I, it's up to me, you know, and, and, and now that idea of extreme ownership that Jocko Willink is, is such a, a big fan of, um, I kind of feel like I've, I've had that you know, since I was like 20 years old, that mm -hmm. if I'm going to, if I'm going to do something, you know, it's down to me to do it, you know, and, and what naturally happens when you take that level of ownership is that things that phase other people stop phasing you, you know, cause you, you just have this inner faith and, and trust that you're going to, you're going to sort things out, like things are going to be okay. Um, which then itself becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I've been in situations and I look back and it's like, how the hell did I manage that? And it's kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of one of them. The, this office that I'm based in now, at the age of 25, 26, um, I bought this place at an auction. Um, and I'd, I'd never bought a property before, let alone a property at auction. Uh, I won the bid, knew nothing about it. Um, they, they made me pay 10% on a, on a debit card. And then they said, I've got 28 days to find the rest of the money or I lose that like money that I've just put on a, on the debit card. Uh, you get highly resourceful. And, and I remember thinking, this is just going to be, a, I'm going to find a way to make this, this happen. And, and I did, and, and this property is pretty much quadrupled in value. Um, but if I'd have really thought about it and thought about all the what ifs, I'd have never done it. You know, I just kind of think, well, I'm, I'm going to make it work. And if I don't make it work, I'm going to learn. And, and it doesn't always work out. I've got a property in North Yorkshire. Um, it didn't go to plan. I'm probably going to lose 20 grand on that. But overall, like if I add up all of the decisions that I've made, have I had more wins than losses? Totally. You know, so it, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get angry or, or kind of regretful because it's like my ability to make decisions that most people wouldn't make has, has given me a lot of really good things. And, 
and, and, and a bit more exciting assignment as well, because I think had I just followed that employee pathway, I wouldn't have had anywhere near the amount of fun and, and creativity and opportunities that I've had. And I certainly wouldn't be able to have a, a primary source of income and then this hypnotherapy thing on the side. Whereas right now, you know, I can, I can do this podcast with you. Um, no one's kind of saying, well, where's Adam? You know, it's, I run the company. I can, I can do what I want. And, and it's that element of freedom that I always wanted that, that I have, not just to kind of make my money in the way that I want to make it, but also do what I want to do in the way that I want to, to do it. And I think, you know, it, it, it's a strange thing, but hypnosis and psychology, that's not, that's not most people's, you know, excite, area of excitement or, or hobby, but it is mine. So I've created a life where I can kind of do the things that interest me. I don't have to worry too much about other people. So it's creating um, the, the path of creativity, the ability to keep creating and making a difference. I, I would say creativity is, is, is the, the, the one consistent thing, creativity and innovation um, you know, I, I have a couple of podcasts, um, Modern Mindset you mentioned, but also The Hypnotist. And what I really like doing with the, the Hypnotist podcast is creating hypnosis sessions that just have never been done before. You know, hypnosis sessions inspired by movies or books or ideas. Uh, I, I recorded one two days ago uh, where you get to, through hypnosis, visit the seven ancient wonders of the world. Like, what a random idea. But, but interestingly, each of those wonders of the world tap into a resourceful state. So, you know, that, that kind of ingenuity of whoever created the pyramids, you, you know, you get a bit of that. Or, you know, seeing the, the statue of Zeus, you know, you get a sense of his strength, you know. So creativity, I'm, I'm such a big fan of because that's what makes life interesting. And the great thing about creativity is that it's an infinite resource. There can never be a point where we run out of ideas that someone says, yeah, you know, that's it now that we, we've thought of everything. You know, creativity is is genuinely, you know, a, a really exciting thing because um, it solves problems and it, and it can create things. You know, I, I like the, the the philosophy of the alchemist, you know, that you can turn lead into gold. Yeah. Well, if you were to describe a resourceful state that does that, that turns something of limited value or no value into something of immense value surely that's creativity an idea a concept jk rowling turned her ideas and and words on a page into a, a billionaire status that's alchemy that's turning you know a word file into like a billion in in assets in in intellectual property um so i think everyone can be an alchemist you know, because everyone's got the ability to be creative and to help other people solve problems and, and create value in some way. What do you feel holds people back from creating or making a difference? I think it's it, it's unique to the individual. Um, might be an identity thing, you know, that people think they're not creative. You know, I, I know people that say they're not business people or, you know, and it's like, well, what's a business person? You know, because there's, there's people, I mean, we, we talked about this yesterday, but there's people that make their living by, you know, talking into a camera, describing what they're doing on a game. And they're making incredible amounts of money through monetizing YouTube and, and Twitch and things like that. 
would you would they consider themselves a business person probably not you know but you can monetize anything so i think the identity can be a thing that holds people back um i think it can be conditioning i think a lot of the time people are are following scripts that that they've not written you know what are you meant to do at this point in your life um you know we also talked about uh, cultural or societal expectations I think that can stop people. And and also there is an element of a fear of rejection or fear of failure that, you know, nobody really likes to be the outlier. You know, I remember at school that there, there's this huge desire to fit in. Um, and, and, and that gets ingrained fairly early on in life because nobody wants to be ostracized. Well, by the nature of creativity and innovation, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to do something different. Um, and that fear of being mocked or ridiculed, I think, is a very real fear and, and stops people from even attempting to be creative. You know, how so many people have got ideas for books, stories, TV shows, and they will never see the light of day. They're just going to be in here because it's safe in here. You put it out there in the real world. And, and as much as we can laugh at, at people going on like talent shows like X Factor and Britain's Got Talent, um, even the people that aren't very good, the fact that they're out there actually doing it, you know, trying to, to be creative or trying to, um, you know, pursue some kind of dream or ambition, they're still infinitely ahead of the people that are too afraid to kind of seek out those kind of opportunities. And, and I'm a big fan of people that takes risks because win or lose, you're going to learn something from it. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many ideas that that people just hold back on because there's the fear of you know, success, fear of rejection, fear fear of failure. What would you 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 say about um those that want to get over those, but you know, the best easiest steps to get started? Because I, I I posted something about um you know the other guest that I had on the, on the podcast with Vin Zhang that he talked you know you're never ready. So you may as well just start. Yeah, that's it. I, I think for me, the, the the key thing was not trying to preempt all the all the what ifs. And I think that's what that was what used to hold me back. Mm. You know, what if I get rejected? What if um, someone laughs at me? What if this? What if that? And it's kind of like, well, um, it, you can handle any of those things. You know, it, it, it it's, it's a very um, I think the 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 worrying nature of humans is designed to protect us, to keep us safe. Um, and worrying about mortal things that can kill us—that's healthy, you know. That you know, if I'm if I'm considering flying a helicopter without knowing how to fly the helicopter, that anxiety that I feel, I should listen to that intuition. That's that's trying to save my life. But unfortunately we have a very visceral, similar emotional experience to the idea of doing something slightly different to what we've done before. Um, bodies are hardwired for survival, which means the fact that you're alive now also means that your body and brain is hardwired for the status quo. Um, you know, bodies don't cope well with changes. Um, now, weirdly, when you force your body or your brain to change, it adapts very, very quickly. You know, neuroplasticity, you know, means that if you if you truly 
need to learn something new, your brain will help you learn that new thing. But it, it doesn't like doing it. You've got to force yourself to do it. And I think sometimes that's the job of the conscious mind is to kind of look at it as the shepherd and your unconscious mind, all these kind of sheep running off in all different directions. And you say, no, this is important. And this is what we're going to do, like it or not. And, and nine times out of 10, it gets on board. So I think it's weighing it up. If, if someone has a dream or an ambition or a goal or an idea, weigh it up and, and say, right, you know, what's the upside? What's the downside? But also, how are you going to feel in, in 20 years time if you never pursued this thing? You know, and, and I think sometimes that can be the leverage that you need to get you to take action. And, and also, it's worth doing things every now and then just to test yourself outside the comfort zone. You know, I... I took up stand-up comedy, not, not to be a, a stand-up comic, but just to face my biggest fear, just to face my biggest fear, because I knew that if I could do that, then things that I did want to do, like speaking on stage, would be a walk in the park compared to trying to do stand-up comedy to a, a pub full of drunk people. Um, so the law of contrast can work for you as well. Just do, do things that are your absolute nightmare until they don't phase you. And then everything else in life is going to seem really, really simple. And what would you say your way, your methods of handling tension, stress, uh, anxiety, things that you, you know, that kind of sub sabotages your, your path? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to say that, you know, I've, I've been like a, like a monk and, and just always handled this stuff well for most of my life. I've handled it really badly. The way I used to handle um, stress and anxiety was distraction. Mm -hmm. So back in my early uh, early 20s and, and late teens, watching insane amounts of TV, just literally wasting my life. Um, and, um, you know, I gave up alcohol about two years ago, but that was also a way that I would deal with stress and anxiety. It's kind of just numb, numb that, you know, you have a few beers, um, doesn't doesn't feel so bad, you know. Or if you're if you can't sleep, then again, there's there's ways that you can kind of um, self medicate to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, but but more recently, I treat it, it all like a feedback loop. So if I'm if I'm feeling stressed, then you know, is it because the demands that I'm placing on myself exceed my current resources, and can I reduce those demands or increase my resources? So I treat it like a feedback loop. If I'm feeling anxious. I'm going to trust my intuition enough to say, right, either I need to prepare or avoid something, which is it and what do I need to do? Um, so whereas before, I almost wanted to kind of, almost kind of like drown out the, the, the kind of the inner dialogue and the, and the inner feelings. Whereas now, I, I just trust that my intuition, my, my unconscious mind has got some, it's trying to help me, you know, and I think, I think that's a, a useful way of thinking about intuition and the unconscious mind is that there's a positive intention behind these feelings. You know, the, 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 the mind, the body does not want you to be miserable. It doesn't want you to be depressed. It doesn't want you to be stressed or anxious. Try and figure out what that positive intention is and see if you can learn something from it. Because then it's not just you taking on the world. It's you and your team within your unconscious that has way more ability to perceive and evaluate things than you'll ever do. Um, but, you know, that wasn't always the case. And that's a relatively new thing for me. And I only really figured it out, you know, having worked with hypnosis clients for about three years. And it's kind of like, 
why am I not doing the same thing to myself that I'm I'm kind of sharing with all these clients? And and it was a reality check. But but giving up alcohol was such an important part because it's difficult to sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees if you if you're kind of self medicating in what in whatever way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think the more clarity that you've got, the less you're trying to influence your your biochemistry, the more accurately you can perceive these inner senses like inner dialogue or, you know, gut tension or whatever it might be. You know, the, the body's trying to help you. Just just listen to it. And do you have any other morning routines or set, you know, exercising and all those in, in your day-to-day routines? Yeah, I mean, I, I love exercise. I, um, you know, I, I love working out. You know, I, I miss the gym so much when, when lockdown was on. Um, and, uh, and more recently, I've started doing cardio in the mornings, which was always a, a struggle for me. But I actually, um, I interviewed a, a hypnotist um, for, for my podcast, Modern Mindset, and he did this technique. And he said, right, is there any issue that you want to work on? And I thought, well, I've kind of figured out most of my issues now. Um, but he said, well, is there anything you'd like to do that you're not currently doing? And I said, yeah, doing exercise in the mornings. I'd love to do that. And I just did this whole session with him. Um, and uh, yeah, recently I've been kind of going for jogs in the morning or going to the gym in the morning. And that's really helping. But, you know, for me, cardio kind of bores me. So when I do cardio, I try and do it while doing something else like watching a TV show or or something like that. But weights, weights I like just because I like the feeling of strength and I like that you can see the progress. And I think it's a great metaphor for life because I think um, if, you know, if, if you looked at business, for example, and so I, I want to run a business. Um, okay, well, there's levels to this game. That would be like going to the gym with no training, picking up the heaviest weight on the bench press. It, it would crush you and you would, you would die or, or be severely injured. But, you know, maybe just start with the bar. Start with the bar and then figure out, okay, that aches a little bit. But then you can take on more and more and more as you grow and, and, and as you get stronger. And I think businesses like that, you know, I'm a very different business owner and leader now than when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I, I needed to understand the game, you know, and the, the longer you play the game, the more you truly understand it. And, and, and yeah, so I'm a big fan of exercise, but I think I think there's you get more than just the health benefits of exercise. I think it is good for mental health. I think it's good for stress. I think it's good for, it's good for self-discipline. You know, the fact that you kind of, even when you don't want to be there, you just make sure you're there. It's such a, an an under appreciated quality because we're in the, the society of instant gratification. You know, the moment that you give someone a challenge or a a hurdle to jump through, they're like, now I'm out. It's kind of like, well, you know, to, to get anything really meaningful, you've got to stay in the game. You've got to persist, particularly when it gets hard. That's when it's at its most important. Um, so going to the gym or exercising, I'm, I'm actually looking forward now. I want it to be, I'm, I'm welcoming the first bit of snow in the morning so I can actually jog in the snow because my mindset now is that I want to have the worst possible weather to jog in because that's going to toughen me up for any other challenges that I've got to deal with. And I think you know, there, there, there's certain ways that if you look at them in a certain way, rather than they be a negative, they're a positive. And, and some people have figured that out. I'm a big fan of David Goggins. And, and, and he, he is wired that the harder and the tougher it is, the more, the more he wants it. And I think that's such a good quality if you can get yourself there.
I think it's just um, creating adversities in our lives and just keep pushing through those those limitations. Like you said um, earlier, you know, testing the, the limits and just keep pushing yourself uh, each time. If there was anything else that um, that really drives your leadership, what would that be now? What would that look like to you? It, it changed, actually. Um, I had a coach that I was working with um, but just over a year ago, and um, I, w I was kind of complaining, really, about the frustrations I had with certain staff members. And, and it kind of... You know, it, it was the catalyst I needed to kind of look at things differently because up to that point, it was kind of like I was thinking, well, I really want to be this kind of hypnotherapist, this psychologist, but this business is stopping me from doing that. And and I kind of had that mentality. And I also had the mentality that I'm paying people to work for me and they don't have the commitment. They don't have the, the results. You know, I was kind of resenting that and, and getting frustrated. And then I started asking myself the question, you know, what what would this dream life be like if i didn't have the pr agency what kind of what would i be doing and it, it was like well i'd be coaching people i would be um, doing therapy with people and i asked myself the question you know what would i do if i was doing therapy with someone and in the next session they didn't have the breakthrough or the changes that they they wanted would i get angry or resentful for them or would I try and figure out what else needs to change to then enable them to have the breakthrough? And I thought, well, totally, intuitively, I would sit with them and say, right, what's worked well? What hasn't worked well? What do we need to change? What else can we try? But I wasn't doing that with my staff at all. It's kind of like, no, we've agreed this and you haven't done it. You know, and and rather than, well, we need to investigate why this hasn't been done. You know, is it a training issue? Is it an attitude issue? Is it, you know... Um, wh whatever it might be. Um, and, and once that shift changed where rather than looking at my business as a almost like a, a barrier to me having the kind of life that I wanted, I was thinking, what if my business can accelerate that? What if I get to be um, a coach where, you know, my staff, you know, I've, I've immediately got, you know, 25 co coaching clients and I, and I look at them and say, right, if I can make them or help them to be better and help them increase their income, well, the side effect of that is also going to help me. And, and it changed things massively. You know, I, I, I became less micromanagey. I became more trusting. But equally, um, I was more decisive. You know, if, if I attempted to help someone to have a breakthrough and it still didn't work, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to let someone go because then I would think, right, well, if I'm not the catalyst for you to tap into your full potential, then you need to find a different leader, a different manager that will help you get there. Um, so it, it kind of helped me in both ways. I wasn't getting resentful for the staff, but equally I enabled them to kind of have a lot more of their own freedom and a lot more of their own autonomy. So um, I guess to use leadership speak, they would call it a transformational leader. Um, but it, it took me a while to kind of figure out that I just prefer being that way. I didn't want to be the, the managerial or hierarchical leader because I, I didn't like it. They didn't like it. But when I actually truly connected with what it would be mean to be 
transformational. Well, that that kind of fits in with my value system and my natural interest and skill set anyway. So I would say that that's more my style. Yeah, I love I love that that you um, use the word transformational and connection as well because it seems a lot of um, leaders nowadays is yeah there is no connection or it's it's just down to management instead of leadership or guidance and and like you said you know the support that you know, to help them earn more income on, the, on you know, individuals and create more freedom for themselves and just having that the choice to create their path I think that's such a important aspect for any business nowadays especially in, in such tough times right or challenging times is you know you want to keep your best people <laughs> totally yeah totally and, and I think also um the the team will always look to to the leader it doesn't matter if it's the leader of a nation or or the leader of a company um to figure out how they should be feeling um and right at the beginning of the the, the whole lockdown and, and covid crisis I think because I'd, I'd spent you know 20 years getting very comfortable dealing with anxiety dealing with fear um i was seeing people terrified of what was going and and, and actually I, I was able to be like super calm and, and very measured so since the beginning of lockdown um in in the in the main pr business that i was kind of yeah do i even want to do this thing uh revenue increased by 50 percent. we've hired 10 new people um you know profits have never been so high um, but that wouldn't have happened if my instant reaction was anxiety and avoidance. It was more a, a case of, okay, yeah, this is going to be tough, but there are things that we can do and, and let's focus on what we can do and not worry too much about what we can't. Um, and, and I think because the, the team saw me like, com not, not just like pretending to kind of hold my nerve, but completely unfazed, you know, that kind of gave them a sense of confidence that, yeah, this is going to be okay. Well, the, the the sense of security, isn't it? If if you're panicking, then they'll be panicking. But if you're just as calm as you are now, they'd be mm. like, oh, "What's that to worry about?" Then you know, if Adam's not worrying about anything, then why should we worry about it? But but also, I had to reconcile it because, yeah, and and the way that I reconciled it is that I know more now than I did when I started when I was like twenty three years old, and and I reconciled that because there are so many unknown variables. I could have lost everything that I built up. Um, but that if I did, you know, I would have the resourcefulness and determination and knowledge to rebuild it very quickly. Um, and, and the fact that I was comfortable and, and, and accepting that even if I lost everything, I could rebuild it. It's kind of like, well, if I lose a few contracts or if I lose 20K in a property, it's kind of like, well, compared to losing everything, that's kind of nothing. So it, it also managed my own expectations so that I could um, maintain a state of positivity even when negative things happen. And, and yeah, we've lost a few. We've probably lost about 50 grand worth of um, revenue um, as a direct result of COVID, but we've made so much more. But if I was angry and, and pissed off that these things were happening, that would have actually unintentionally eroded our ability to you know, do some of the the positive stuff. And I think, you know, yeah, bad things happen. Bad things happen for all different reasons. But, you know, accept there's things you can't control, but but really hone in on what you can control. Um, and what you can control, which I didn't realize for most of my life, is that your emotional state is one of those things that you can control. Um, and if you can if you can kind of get yourself in that kind of 
positive and resourceful emotional state, then you know you can you can jump ahead while everyone else is freaking out. And I think that's that's, that's a very useful skill to have. Awesome. And if there was to look for lookouts for what you do, and how can they find you and connect with you? Where can they go? Yeah, so there's a few places. So um, uh, just a bit of information about me. You can go to adamcox.co.uk. Um, if you have a phobia, uh, you can go to phobiaguru.com. Uh, if you maybe want hypnosis to lose weight, you can go to hypnoslimming.com. Um, if you want to listen to my podcast where I interview the world's leading minds, including Jono, uh, you can go to Modern Mindset on any podcast platform. And if you want to hear my hypnosis sessions in any podcast platform, just put The Hypnotist and you'll you'll see um, about 80 episodes of The Hypnotist, so 80 different hypnosis sessions you can listen to on there. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Adam. I really appreciate that. More than welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unspoken Truths of Digital Leadership. I hope you found this interview insightful and useful. Please remember to subscribe and review the podcast. And if you have found it useful, please feel free to send it and share it to your network as I will be very appreciative that it will spread and help out more people in the world. If you would like more information or the show notes and resources that I will be providing you, then please go to www.johnopoon.com, go to the blog and find the podcast section. Step up, show up and stay up. Take care.